When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking GoWild rewards as you share content because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. Today, got Nate. You just won't, you just don't do it, do you? Do what? You just won't say with your hosts. I don't, I don't like, I don't like the way that sounds, to be honest with I've you. I've given you the reins, but it's still hard for me to listen to. I know, just let it go already, dude. <laughs> but, got Nate in here, got myself, Micah, and we're joined by our buddy Dustin, so. Dustin Williams. Dustin Williams with Habitat, Habitat Works. Works. So, we've actually had him on before. It was one our earlier earlier episodes, I believe. I probably should have looked it up. It's been over a year. Yeah, yeah for it was sure. Quite a while. Should have looked up the episode number. But yeah, he he came on with uh, uh, Ryan Greco. Yeah, Ryan and Greco. Tristan Williams actually. If I remember, all three of you were here mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. Hey, move your mic closer to your mouth. Why you having a little trouble there? Yeah. That better. There you go. But uh, so yeah, we got Dustin with uh, Habitat Works. You can say hi now. Howdy. <laughs> No Andy tonight. Yeah. He's he, sick. He's sick, so hopefully he gets better. He he caught the Rona bug, so. Yep. So hopefully he's makes a quick recovery. Yeah. So no Andy tonight, but um got Dustin here tonight because he is uh he's smart when it comes to uh habitat. And so we're gonna talk about some habitat stuff, some stuff you can do in the, the winter. Mm-hmm. Um before we get into that show, we've got uh, two partners for tonight's show. Yep, we got our buddies over at uh Huntworth. Uh, use them. Uh, do we have code? Yeah, this yeah, year? it's going to be the same. So Is it's MWW15. It? Yep. If you want to save yourself 10%, which I do 15%. think. 15%. Oh, 15%. <laughs> Sorry. That's why the 1.5. Yeah. Touche, touche. <laughs> and, but uh, I do think they have a 20% going on right now. They do. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, don't use our code, dude. Don't, like, yeah. Save the, it extra, doesn't matter. save the extra 5%. It yep. doesn't matter to us, you know. But uh, get in. I actually, actually, our buddy Nate Stanton. Yeah. He, he sent us a deal. He just bought him some. He's pretty happy with and it. And he got a. a pattern we don't have he got yeah. their hidden pattern yep yep i actually i used their uh cold weather stuff i went on went out on the last day saturday it was what negative five degree wind cold. chill it was cold yeah. really cold and i was comfortable the only thing that got cold on me was my feet and that's my own dumbass fault because i ain't got winter <laughs> boots i had, i wore I wore muck boots with some heavy socks. That so. is on my list for this year talking about gear yeah insulated boots i've yeah. never owned any but for whatever reason, this year, my feet got cold a lot deer mm. hunting. Because uh, my, my boots are uninsulated. I usually just wear some wool socks, and I deal with it. There were several times this year that I I damn near got down because my feet hurt so bad. Well, we get on the ground game a little bit harder, you can move when your feet get cold. Yeah, it's so. like start. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely I got to do the same. I got to get a little bit of – but I'm always scared, too, because my feet – I usually run hot most of the time, and my feet always sweat. So I'm like, I don't want to get insulated boots because then they're just going to be sweating all the time. But I'm going to give it a shot anyways. Yeah. So, but so check hunt. our buddies out at Huntworth. Yep, um, great people. 
great company. Um, also Alps Outdoors. So if you need a pack or camping gear or anything to do with the outdoors and that sort Hunting of lines. Yep, they got it all. So go it. check them out. Alpsbrands.com. Um, awesome sponsor of ours and, uh, you know, based here in Missouri too. Yep. So uh, let's get into the show. Though. There may be a teaser for later. Yeah, okay. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. All right. So you don't have to do that. This, this is the woods and water. Well, okay. yeah, we're just going to roll we're right We're just going to go it. right into the show. Dustin is here with us. He drove basically an hour and a half to come sit mm-hmm. down with us. Appreciate that, man. Yeah. Uh, Appreciate you having me. Yeah. I bet Nathan will let you sleep on his couch. If, if, <laughs> if, if, we if go you really need to. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about where I might be able to stop between here and there, but <laughs> maybe the couch will do. You're young. You're young. <laughs> uh, so, how's, I, how's it been going, man? Well, good. I mean, I guess I'm pretty good because you brought two things with you. Yeah. I brought my... Uh, 21 bow and rifle kill with me today uh got them cleaned up skulls are here for us to hold and look at and admire mm-hmm. a couple of public land bucks and just good good experiences you guys know most people listening know if you shoot a buck you remember that forever no matter how it went down yep so just and you I, know relatable and i feel like it carries a little more weight because you did it on public ground to yeah be honest. i mean me and Nathan are lucky, and I don't. Do you hunt any private ground, or do you mostly just public? We have one place of public ground in the city limits up there that we can hunt. That is a shadow of what it used to be, as far as habitat goes. <clears throat> yeah, when it was purchased by the farmer, now he took everything out. Uh, <laughs> so no more trees is what you're saying. Yep, all corn, <laughs> no grass, hardly any trees. They still funnel through there, but they don't hang around. It's basically a a corridor from A to B. And uh, so I don't really enjoy going there very much because I'm a habitat guy, mm-hmm. um, and there's not much of that left. But there's uh, a, yeah, I guess do you consider corn a habitat, or is that just a? It's a cor- feature. It's a feature. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you like a little bit, a little bit more green yeah. and yeah, it's all the other stuff. The uh, the triangle is food cover water, and corn is food. Yeah. And when it's out, it's not cover anymore either. So it's right just food. Um, but yeah, no, public land is challenging. Um, these two particular deer come from a place that I know really well. I've been hunting for almost 20 years now, so I've got it down pretty good, um, as far as their movement patterns and stuff. But even in the past couple of years, it's been a lot more about topography and thermals and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, that one buck, my bow kill buck has an extra main beam. Yeah, uh, this one. Here. Pretty cool. Same as most public bo- bucks in Missouri go. I have no history with either of these deer. It's just kind of you go out expecting to hopefully see a buck. Yeah. A lot of times not. And a split second decision is all you have. And that's the fruit of it right there is those two deer. So I mean, yeah. it makes it, it kind of makes it pretty nice because, I mean. Think about how much time we put into right pattering one deer two deers whatever the case may be but there's something really exciting about going to a place that i mean whether you've been there or not going there and you have no idea what's going to show up <clears throat> you know i have a if whenever i go hunting i have a pretty good idea what could show up mm-hmm. you you have no idea if it's going to be a 110 class deer all the way up to, up to a 200 class deer you right. have no idea so that it's pretty exciting really and if you think about the difference like this year, me personally, I was after one of one of two deer, yeah. and that was it. Mm-hmm. It was those two were bust for me. And how much time did we spend on 
new stands and you know mineral and you know all that stuff uh how many cameras did i have running at that point in time you know think of all like the extra stuff there is something freeing to just going hunting Mm -hmm. and if it tickles my fancy it's gonna take an arrow yeah i mean it's it's old school i'll kind of actually like it what it is and he's badass he's got like i said like you said this extra a second main beam, I guess you'd call it, mm-hmm. and he broke off what would have been the G one or G two, I guess, on that main beam. I don't know how they do it. Well, yeah, I don't know how that works. Beam. I don't know. I've never scored a deer like this one. I can tell you that. I yeah. just measured all the length of everything and the circumference and went with that. Yeah. So, and uh, but what he broke off right here would have been pretty stout. I would say. I would, would think, think it'd be six inches, maybe. Yeah, you would think. That's what she said. Uh, <laughs> very average. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a stud deer right there, and then the rifle deer is a little bigger. And, I mean, just – Both are solid. I guarantee you I would have pulled the trigger on either one of these on public land, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. It's an awesome deer. Uh, five days apart. Really? Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's pretty fun. The Friday before rifle season and then the Wednesday of rifle season were my two two kills. That's pretty cool. That makes it a, a fun And you week. made it – I mean, we were talking about it earlier, so I'm assuming you – and you killed both of them off the ground too, right? Mm-hmm. So you – and you don't you don't mess with tree stands. You don't do any of that. So that that's another element thrown in there that makes it just that much more difficult. Yeah, I used to, used to carry that climber in everywhere I went. You know, it's 25 pounds by itself. You put your bag on it. It's about 50 pounds at the end of it. It's loud, <laughs> clangy, and yeah. I just decided to screw that, you know. Uh, Fred Bear. I don't know if you guys have seen the Ten Commandments. Fred oh, Bear's oh, yeah. Ten Commandments. Oh yeah. oh yeah. There's a couple of them that resonate with me, and it's sit still, hunt into the wind, move uphill when it's cool, and mm-hmm. downhill when it's warm. Yep. So high when it's warm, and uh, only take what you need to hunt longer and better. And that that was kind of what started the whole ground. Fiasco. How long you been doing that for? Uh, about three years now. That's when. Okay. Um, the last year, last season in 2020, I was hunting in the river bottoms in Kansas quite a bit, and they have a lot of straight cottonwoods and flat, open, easy walk. And I used my climber a little bit that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, but uh, other than that, mostly ground hunting. Well, so. and we we talked before recording. That's something that's really in, interested me. Mm-hmm. And I did a few times this year, which. Once again, we hunt different stuff. I'm hunting private ground, but a small parcel of private ground. So I have the ability to hang as many stands as I want to move around that. But even then, you'll have these certain t- things that you notice with deer. And I don't have a stand over there. So I've I've done, I like ground hunting, the idea of it, um, like we talked about, just because you don't know. If where you want to be, number one, there's a tree worth of shit. Mm-hmm. Number two, if you're on public ground, and here's my, I've never had this happen to me, but let's say you go on public ground, you can't cut tree limbs. Mm-hmm. So you get to the base of this tree in the morning. I'm, I'm going to go up this one. So you get up there, sun breaks, first light, and then you're like, holy freaking hell, I don't have any shooting lanes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always like worried me is you go in there blind, you get up and you're like, okay, I have zero shooting lanes. I should have been in that tree five yards that way or whatever. Whereas with ground hunting, you're a little more free mm-hmm. to, if you did mess up in the morning, uh, you just need, you just get up and move shimmy five, over five, yards, ten yeah. yards or whatever. It's You don't have a tree to 
ascend or descend. Right. Now you did buy. Uh, you did say you bought a. Uh, I got a. Video. I got a latitude. Uh, method two, mm-hmm. I believe. Saddle. Yep. It's still in the box right now. Just got it. So I'm excited to get into to that. Give it a shot. Yeah. Our um, buddy, our buddy Ethan, he he hunts out of a saddle and he loves it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm intrigued by him. I am. But I, I think it adds an element of mobility to being back in the trees that I would enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, if, it is nice. I mean, I I enjoy hunting out of a tree. Mm-hmm. You know, just to get that. You know, the, off the ground. I and don't you can disagree. S- and you can see. You usually see a lot better, right. you know, but then same thing, you know, you got to worry about shooting lanes and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is the one thing that's always worried me about hunting off the ground is I'm not a tall man, which I guess would help me mm-hmm. from being on the ground. I mean, can you imagine a dude like Andy trying to huddle up next to a tree, you know, six, seven, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know, like what's that big freaking thing over there? Yeah. yeah we can you know, get underneath logs and stuff. You know, at least I can like shimmy and, you know, <laughs> getting into something, but at the same time then. Any tall grass, you know, I'd ha- I, I would assume I would be having to stand to take shots. Yeah. And then you are moving, mm-hmm. which I stand to take shots in a tree stand, too. I just stand. So I guess I'm moving then, too. But you can get a- away with more when you're 20 foot up in a tree. Right. You stand, you know, when a deer is 30 yards away from you on the ground, you really got to be ready to stand at the right time. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you learn very quickly about... Not necessarily mistakes, but, like, things you have to be ready for mm-hmm. on the ground. Um, you mentioned Farron Ball earlier. He always talks about, like, practicing your draws, um, mm-hmm. having an arrow ready. <laughs> like, don't be walking and un- unknocked if you're in a place that it might happen. Like, right. There's been times that I'm just kind of standing there kind of gawking at where I'm at and nothing's ready and here comes a doe in and before you know it she's right on me looking at me and takes off blowing and you always feel like your hunt's over yep it makes it a lot harder to stay patient if that happens but yeah yeah when you, in all reality it probably isn't over right especially if it's two in the afternoon you got three hours left right it it is like damn it yeah i'm i'm my presence is known yeah and uh, something knows i'm here right yeah so no it's it's definitely i think it has made me tremendously better as a hunter and so I am excited to get back into the trees and apply <coughs> what I've learned there and give myself another advantage that I've kind of taken away. So um, you got that saddle. Did you get a platform with it? I don't have that stuff yet. I do I'm, have some. I'm assuming you're getting yeah, get one. Yep, I'll get a platform. And I actually thought about trying to modify the bottom of my climber. Uh, I bet you could. Cutting it down, and I think it would be pretty easy to pack around because it's already kind of framed up and strapped yeah. up. So that's what's cool is with, like, a saddle – I mean, you can put the saddle on, mm-hmm. and you're wearing your tree stand at that point, or mm-hmm. put it in your pack if you want to. This, I, I've never actually physically seen them, but the platforms, you basically just put in your pack. Mm-hmm. And then you got your sticks, yep. which is really the most cumbersome part of what you have. Right. And even then, I mean, a lot of people are, are going to the two sticks, or not two sticks, uh, two-step. eighters and Or one and eighters are the two-step sticks that are smaller. I... Don't know that I would do that just once again because I'm short. And so if I had four sticks that were two-steppers, I don't know how high I could get. Yeah, I haven't even um, looked at some of that stuff either. It's it's all new, but I got the I got the rig, you know. I'm ready to right. I'm ready to start learning and building from that. Well, what you need to do is we need to get together sometime and mess with them together. Because I'd like – Ethan's even told us to try out his, yep. and we should. Yeah. Uh, our buddy Nate Stanton again said the same thing to us. He's got a, a saddle. Okay. And yeah, uh, we just need to do it. 
I need to like steal somebody's saddle or go to their house, go to the tree in the front yard and be like, all right, let's do it. Let's see how I like this. Yep. I work with the arborist in Kansas too. <clears throat> I really like to learn to climb mm-hmm. and with ropes. And there's things you can do, hang loops up. Once yep. you get your tree picked out to where if you do go back to that spot, all you got to do is hook your climbing rope to that loop, pull it over, and then you're ready to go back to climbing Yeah, like an arborist, which... See, I, be- I have done that before. I used to, My dad, he, that's how he made his living through college was he, he was a tree trimmer, arborist, whatever yeah. you want to call it. That's cool. And so growing up, I was always helping him do trees, and every once in a while I put the spikes on and climb up trees and stuff like that. So it, it's a lot of fun, but uh, I don't know if I could get myself in that harness anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They but, make an XL. I don't know if that's yeah. the dilemma or not. <laughs> no, it, no. <laughs> uh, well, what was I going to say? Oh, back in the day for about two seconds, I was in lineman school. <laughs> I regret not finishing, but I was in lineman school. And so I got decent at gaffing. Mm. And uh, I know it's illegal to do it on public ground, but how freaking sweet would it be just to shimmy up with your spikes and you're just up there. You don't have to worry about carrying sticks. You just got those feel like spider-man yeah just yeah. Do, 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 do. go as high as you want mm-hmm. yeah and i mean if you know how, what you're doing you could easily do it i know you can't do it on public land because you're scarring a tree right but i'm saying it would be a cool idea i think about that too like my climbing stand isn't the easiest thing on trees either so that's true i know i mean if you think about it the same like i, I used my climber a handful of times and i'm like I'm pretty sure a spike would do less damage than what this <laughs> climber's right. doing. Those teeth digging yeah, in. Yeah, especially they make them ones that have like three or four different prongs on them. So your weight's kind of dispersed a little bit. It's not right. like you got one shank right. going right in. So right. I don't know. Uh, I'll be honest. I've never used a climber in my life. I, I attempted to once. Do you remember the, the story? Uh, it, was your, it was your climber. Was it? You don't remember this? I don't know. Have, remind me. I borrowed it. Because okay. I wanted to go run and gun, and I didn't. That was when I first started hunting, and I you let me use it, and you showed me how to use it in your backyard, if you remember correctly. Okay, kind of coming together. So I took it, and I went, and I started using it, and I got about seven feet up in the tree, and I did something wrong, and it fell, messed up, drop, and it stayed right at the base of the tree the rest of that day, and I hunted on the ground next to that tree. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last time I tried a climber. Now, oh, yeah. it w- 100% was my fault. I mean, I'm sure I did something wrong, but it scared the ever-living shit out of me, mm-hmm. and that was that for the day. And 100% honesty, I was not tethered off to anything. Right. I was climbing still, so uh, it was... Could have been bad. It was a scary It was a scary moment, and I was like, nope, that's the last time I'm using a climber. <laughs> and I literally have not used a climber since. And shortly after that, that's when I got into, you know, hang-ons and right. more of a setup i like mm-hmm. but uh yeah that's my tell my tale of uh climbers, climbers right there <laughs> but andy uses his all the time still yeah yeah he does use his quite a bit yeah mine's like 15 years old and it's solid like pretty light it's yeah. an old uh summit i don't remember the model right but, and um, andy's like an old man old man think, tree stand so. yeah i believe so i don't even know what mine <clears> is i got two of them two or three of them but, yeah, the one I use, I don't even know. But it is. It's light, but it's big. Like mm-hmm. I, I like a big platform, and it's got a pretty decent-sized platform. So that's why I like it when I do use it. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing I just thought of that is a positive to ground hunting. I remember you and I went hunting. That's the day you shot that doe. Mm-hmm. And then you just 
hoisted her over yourself, or was that a different day? We were together. No, I, I shot that button. It okay, was a, that, it was a yeah, button. That, we thought right. it was a doe, but yeah, it was a button. But I was so you were in your climber. I was in a, a ladder or whatever. Yeah, ladder stand. And I mean, no offense, it makes noise. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. getting up into a tree, whereas on the ground, you get to the base of that tree you need to get to and do what That's you need it. to do and mm-hmm. you sit and it's over you can walk and sound like a deer on the ground you can't sound like a deer climbing up a tree in a climbing stand <laughs> so. you know climbing oh shit you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> cling, cling. <laughs> yeah so uh that's the other thing i, I think zach Farinball <laughs> even says it um you know let's say you're 80 yards off a bedding area and there's a, a large buck bedded if he hears you climbing that tree he may hear it not associate a human but it might make him change his decision on which way he's going when he gets up that night. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, you're at the same spot and you sit in the base of that tree and you know make some good decisions, and it doesn't. He doesn't even know you're there, right? Um, which I mean does make sense. I mean, and in in that too, kind of kind of like what I said, you can't sound like a deer climbing a tree. Like a lot of times, and these guys do the same thing. You get to that tree, and the first thing you do is clear out all the leaves and debris and stuff <laughs> and so you just sound like a buck making, making his territory bed, evident yeah. you know and right. i sense. almost i got drawn back on a deer that was coming to that this year and it could have actually been that deer but he was a long ways from where i shot him if it was uh it looked a lot like him just big oak tree i got behind and there's leaves and oak timber obviously mm-hmm. real roughly leaves and so i'd scrape them and grunt and get myself settled and it wasn't two minutes after I sat down at the tree that he come around down off of where I thought he'd be bedded, and I got drawn back, and when I uh, went to rant, it was a lot louder than I intended. <laughs> yeah, a little excited. I think, you scared yourself. I, yeah, I think he had heard that before from somebody else, and he did not wait a split second and was gone. So. Damn. <laughs> That's cool. You know, this year was the first year I've ever stopped a deer with that sound. Oh, really? Really. I've They've always either, either, they've always either naturally stopped and I haven't had to make the sound, or I did shoot a deer last year, that one right there, um, walking walking still, because he was so close, I was worried about stopping him. Mm. He was five yards, right? and I, so I didn't stop him, and we've talked about that one before, kind of a mistake, but the one I shot this year was the first time mm. I've stopped a deer. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, when I stopped him, I'm like, that was cool. <laughs> okay, shoot him. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Oh, he stopped. It worked. <laughs> it worked because I was I, I was all nervous. I'm like, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't want to be like like you said so loud that you're like, well, if you're there hunt- he goes. The thing is too, like if you're hunting by yourself, you haven't spoken any words that day. Right. You're just by yourself, and yep. like, that first noise comes out. You don't know what it's gonna, <laughs> what it's going to be. You don't get time to warm up like the pitter patter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's too bad. Um, let's talk about some some stuff that you're good at. Uh, okay. You know, habitat management, and it's January 19th right now. Well, mm-hmm. before that, I think we should get into your background a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. So I guess I could where, where did this all Where did this all start for you? Okay, uh, yeah. Well, I got interested because I've been hunting forever, since I was about six, I'd say, actively hunting. Um, but then I took that into college. Um, didn't actually start out there started out in engineering and that lasted about two seconds like your <laughs> lineman school did you figure out that you didn't have like the i the didn't want to do calculus and chemistry <laughs> and all kinds of stuff the whole rest of the time i was there um so i got into uh, fisheries and wildlife and uh, pursued a habitat management degree 
and got that done. Where at? Mizzou. M-I-Z. Z-O-U. <laughs> I just uh, had to make sure people knew where yeah. you went to school. <laughs> yep. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that, that was your passion. You you went to school for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, that that's what you do now. I mean, you. Yep, manage you, Habitat. Um, I have a business, Habitat Works, <coughs> and I assist landowners in um, setting up their properties to be the best that it can be for hunting. Um, I would say that my strongest point is in the woods. Um, my first jobs were all forestry jobs. Right. Uh, so a lot of time doing timber stand improvement and uh, treating invasive species and burning. And those are kind of my, what I would call my fortes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hold I hold seasonal positions too. And so I worked with Kansas Wildlife and Parks over the summer this past year. And I'm still uh, on the roster, I guess you could say, right. this year kind of help fill the gaps and so do a lot of food plots and um grassland conversions and just maintenance because you get all the stuff that comes in that you don't want and this that and the other so we got pheasants that we manage for pretty heavily in mm-hmm. the river bottoms there just across from across from missouri over in kansas and yep um good pheasant habitat is good deer habitat so uh it all it all goes together makes um, sense yeah I mean, there's really not a lot of habitats, tell me if I'm wrong, there's really not a lot of habitats that are good for one animal that are horrible for others. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, Especially not around here. Right. Like, what's good for a turkey is pretty good good for for a deer. deer, Yeah. Probably good for a coyote, too. Mm -hmm. Probably good for a pheasant. Mm Mm-hmm. In turn, not good for a pheasant if it's a coyote. Yeah. You know, all these different, I mean, I guess. All blends together. Yeah. Makes sense. Speaking of birds, we kicked up a cubby quail the other day. Really? When we were coyote hunting. We did. Yeah. That's good. Was I was I there? Yeah. You don't Why remember? Did I remember this? Was that one where? Was I already depressed at that point? And pissy? Yeah, it was during the middle of the day. I can't remember which set it was, but we kicked up a cubby quail, and I was like, "Holy crap! It's been a while since I've seen one of those." That's good. Read that, that I didn't see that. It was your buddy's house. Oh. We did two two sets on it. Yeah. Okay. I do remember that now. Yeah. 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 Scared the living crap out of me. Do you know how many were in there? If I, there was probably at least 10, 10 to 15, I'm yeah. guessing. You know, we were thinking about coyotes walking into our set, and then, you know, you know that sound they make whenever they take off. And we're like, oh, jeez. I might yeah. have screamed. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, the pheasant's similar, except for bigger, so yeah. it, it'll really scare you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's a great uh, it's a good sign. Great point. Yeah, and you can you can always hear the quail, too. But well, I don't know if you, if they were calling that day, but a lot of times if you don't kick them up and you get to hear them calling, at yeah. least for me, it's like, oh yeah, that's good stuff. Oh yeah. So, yeah, yep, and Bob White's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my son loves Bob White's. My son's a bird freak. That's he, good. Like he, we bought him books on birds, and I'm not kidding you. Micah can verify. Yeah, it's we will we will be driving or doing whatever. Dad, look, there's a dark eyed Janko. Yep. And I have no clue if he's telling me the truth. But I'm Probably. like, how, how do you know that, Kate? And he's like, I tell you, I, I know. Did you get him the uh, Sibley Field Guide? Uh, no, but Sibley I will. Field Guide. Because we got him a several, like, Birds of Missouri books, and it's, you know, like a small handheld book, and yeah. then it's got pictures about him. Maybe it is that, but I don't think it's called that. But one time, so we were outside, and he said, Dad, there there's a whatever Scissor tail, mm-hmm. whatever. That's a good one. And I'm like, how do you have no idea, kid? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we bought you this book, and now he's like, I'm telling you I'm right. I said, cool, go get the book then. 
I got to take I, uh, Orno in college, and that was one of my favorite classes. Really? I lost most of it. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's like, I'm just like, there's almost. I wanted to prove him wrong because he was getting pretty cocky about knowing all these different <laughs> birds, right? Wasn't he? Oh yeah. And I'm like, go get the book. He goes and gets the book. I thumb through to the scissor tail, whatever he called it, flycatcher. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, looking at the picture, looking at the bird. I'm like, I'll be damned. <laughs> you were correct. All right, buddy. I'm, I'll leave you alone. No and, more questioning. Yeah, he's – and then, like, when we, we were deer hunting before he killed his deer this year, his eyes are in the trees half the time mm-hmm. looking at the different birds. And he's like, Dad, look at that one. That's a – look at that cardinal, which is – everybody knows what a cardinal is. but Right. You see how it's the female? Do you know how – how do you know that? I'm like, yeah, I know. But he's just – you know, he's <laughs> like he, – he, he really loves birds. And, Better than video games. Yeah, which he likes that crap too. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, let's talk about some stuff um, – that you can do in the wintertime, because now is a great time to be doing stuff, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll kind of start with, like, probably the least intensive winter management thing, which will be the frost seeding. Um, very easy to do. Don't need any equipment except for your spreader bag and whatever seeds you're going to put down. Um, and it could be for food plots, and it can be for uh, native, if you want to get some CRP grass, some prairie grass and wildflowers and things like that going, um, it's an option too. So um, when do you want to, like, I, I'm not talking so much about time of year. We all know yeah. frost seeding needs to be going on when it's cold, right? Right. But when do you want to frost seed as far as what's the ground need to be doing? I mean, yep. we're, you we're, know, explain it to us like we're five. Yeah, we're coming <laughs> up on like the really good time. So late winter, early spring, the mm-hmm. ground still does freeze and then thaw during the day. Um, snow on the ground is good mm-hmm. when you sow those seeds. Is it good to do it on the snow, like on top of the snow or before it's about to snow? Either. Either or? Yeah, okay. if you know it's going to snow and you can get seeds down or like as it's snowing, if you wanted to be out doing right. that while it's snowing, like that would be good because Something then you do. know it's going to get covered. Yeah. Um, if the snow's soft, like I wouldn't really want to go out on what it is right now with like the crusty layer on top probably because it's going to be harder for that seed to kind of settle in. Mm-hmm. But when the sun hits it, it starts to work itself down into the snow. That seed does just under the weight, and it absorbs some of that light, and so it kind of settles. But what happens is the ground freezes and thaws, and so you get seed-to-soil contact. And a lot of, so not the food plot seed, but like your native seed has to go through, um, has to stratify. Mm-hmm. And so it has to go through a cold process to even be able to germinate. Oh, really? And you can do that artificially in your refrigerator with wet napkins, or you can do it naturally by just sowing it. Okay. And so, like, at my house, we went and sowed some Indian grass and some other native prairie grass <coughs> a year or so ago, frost-seeded it. Mm-hmm. And it's not even a great site because we got trees in the backyard, and it's not really sunny, and that stuff really likes sun. And we had Indian grass growing right behind the house, kind of on the perimeter of our patio, and... Um, it works well. Um, so, so grasses, um, like your annuals, like wheat and rye will do well frost seeded, uh, oats will frost seed. And then those are food plot species, but, um, and then legumes like clover, white clover does really well. Um, actually red clover's better, I think. You can do the clovers. And nice. uh, is this ass? Is that something? You, oh. 
What did you say? I, I was just saying I was getting ready to ask that about clover. And I'm getting ready to ask, do you have a specific seed brand that you like as far as? I don't. You don't. You don't have. A I will particular? go. I will go to the farm store and I will see what either local mixes they have or mm-hmm. just what you know if they have biologic or if they have whitetail institute. As long as it's the right season for those things, yeah. Those things. That's kind of what I'm going to go with. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I was actually thinking about it the other day. I went hunting Saturday. We had that snow, and I was, and I got a little food <laughs> plot, and. A, this year or this last year, I just did a throw and grow. I went and I killed everything, and mm-hmm. then you know I kind of roughed it up and I threw a throw and grow, and I had a little bit of clover. It, it was a mix. I had clover, uh, rye, and something else. I can't remember. Probably, probably rapeseed, maybe. Maybe or... it might have been that. Um, but I think I'm going to do all. Clo- I want to do all clover this year because it seemed like every time I was in there, the only thing that I could see the deer actually eating was the clover. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I think I might just do all clover. So I thought about going and picking up some seed and just throwing it out there once i got done hunting or while i was hunting but i never got to the store to get any so is it what about time frame like it's so it's okay to go ahead and buy your seed now and yeah. do it now there's yeah. not like a, a shelf life on seed no not not really okay they're gonna have out most of the time what's coming <clears throat> okay right? um so if you just go off of you know you're planting for this first cool season right if you're frost seeding then that's the seed that you're going to get okay what's uh what's the advantages to like like let's just stay with clover because mm-hmm. i me and clover don't get along I, mm-hmm. I everyone says it's easy and every time i freaking plant it it, it doesn't work but that's, that's because where you plant it it's getting no sun i'm under it go true that's a good point <laughs> anyways that's one thing uh What's the advantages to frost eating something like clover or I guess any of the stuff food plot wise compared to, you know, early spring or a lot of people do like late plots? Mm-hmm. Is there advantages to getting it in the ground frost eating wise? The the biggest advantage is that it's a lot more extensive rather than intensive, meaning less involved. Okay. Um, so you don't have to worry about soil preparation because the freeze thaw does that for you. Gotcha. Um, since that seed's going to get the first soil contact the dead stuff from last season that you seed into is going to kind of act as a barrier and provide coverage so that that seed is germinating and then you'll have a mix. So like people that graze cattle and stuff will frost seed legumes into their um, pastures Okay. to improve grazing for cattle even, hmm. which if it's good for cattle, it's going to be good for what we do too. Um so yeah, the major advantage is just that it's kind of the simplest, simplest way to do it. Simplest way to do it, and if you have a bunch of spring food plots that you want to do, there's a good chance that you can't do all of your all of them in a frost seeding scenario. But you can knock them out so that your workload is you know spread. Yeah, that's what I've noticed with spring plots that I've tried <clears throat> is yeah, it works, and <clears throat> the what you're planning. Uh, takes and that's even if like you you know you round up the whole plot before kill everything that's in there stuff still comes Mm -hmm. and at least with my setup yeah my clover came and whatever else i the rapeseed actually did really good but um then all the weeds also were actively growing like weeds do and before long you know the weeds overtook the clover 
mm-hmm. and within you know two months you didn't see any clover anymore it right was, it was over with those and uh nice thing about you know frost eating is you don't have to they're not competing like you said right so yeah. they get like a head start on any of the the weeds i guess kind of act as a weed barrier for yeah. you you're still going to get some sure it's inevitable right. but uh yeah it'll act like a, a a block so that that first spurt of weed growth isn't going to be as hefty yeah as it would be otherwise because if you go and turn the soil in the spring mm-hmm. you're turning up a lot of weed seed and that's why you get such a explosion of that that you might have to come back and spot spray or whatever yeah yeah which we did i mean it that's what yeah. happened and with clover don't and correct me if i'm wrong i always i've always been told this with clover once clover gets absta- established it does a good job of choking out other mm-hmm. things so well, that yeah. it continues to i don't know if you've ever had it in your yard or not yeah but it tends it tends to it's do just well to, yeah <laughs> it's doing it's, great in my yard yeah it tends to stay around for a little bit that's for sure then you mow it and then you've feed it all these recycled nutrients and then it just does even better yeah <laughs> so yeah i haven't uh sprayed my yard in about three years now i used to spray 2,4-D in my yard yeah it's way too big to do any like uh what do you call it granules i'd spend thousands so um got a father-in-law who's a farmer who taught me about 2,4-D and so i used to spray 2,4-D and it would get rid of the clover mm-hmm. that'd be fine i haven't sprayed it in like three years and that freaking clover is just oh, it's back mm-hmm. whew which is cool. Have have fun, Clover. I don't care about my yard as much anymore as I used to. So yeah, I'm a lot, a lot more passive on lawn management than I used to be too. I used to be a heck of a lawn mowing guy, but I just that's how I me was. Me too, man. Yeah, I mean, I used to have a lawn care business, so I mean, I was real particular on one of my stripes and black. Nah, I don't. <laughs> when I lived in town, I cared. Right. But now that I mow over five acres, I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. I just want to get it done. Like, what two and a half hours of what day am I going to waste? on this mower to get this over with right and so it, now it's just about getting it mowed it's not about manicuring it because man i you just go crazy trying to manicure you can go frost seed some native grass and just mow less there you go that's not a bad idea it's a good idea just kind of and then i could just quail hunt here <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see you get some quail out here that'd, that'd be, be cool sweet yeah, you'd be surprised along that gravel road coming in i could see him being there already yeah there's some grass there's, there's quail out uh, my neighbor's Got oh, really? quail in there a lot. Huh. I don't know if they might. Uh, our other neighbors have chickens and other things, and maybe they have some or something. I don't mm-hmm. know if you can own quail, but oh, yeah. maybe they got out. But I've seen them over and through there. Oh, and, nice. and his his uh, his hay field gets taken care of less than mine, so it stays long mm. a lot. And I, that might be That's, yeah, probably good for, good for them, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. So, and his, like, doesn't get fertilized or anything, which I don't know if that matters, but... It just it's a little more natural than what we've got in our hay field, so maybe that's why yeah. I see them tall tall grasses with area underneath of the grass that they can move through. Yep. is kind of what yeah, because it's not real thick, for. right? Right. You, know, you kinda, don't want sod; you want patches. Yeah, yeah. exactly what it is. And diversity. Yep. So, so what are some other things that people can start? I, I want to stay on frost eating for a second. Oh, okay. Because I don't. Okay. I've never ever in my life tried it, and. Uh, don't really understand the benefits. What you've already said makes sense. Is that really the the biggest benefit? Is you get a head start more than anything? Yeah, you get a head start, and just the how any guy can do it. Just go out with your spreader bag, and you're set. Can you frost seed something that you already have planted that you yes. want to you know continue to strengthen? Yeah, and there there doesn't have to be snow on the ground either. 
like frozen ground mm-hmm. is the same because it thaws and gets loose and so then freezes again. You want that freeze thaw, freeze freeze thaw. thaw is what you're looking for. And Which so Missouri's great at doing. Yeah, yeah, you might yeah you might go swimming one day and then it'll be froze the next day. Yeah, uh, but um, I would like assume frost seeding is harder like up north because right. it's. Like this time of year, it's never above freezing, so it's just frozen all the time. But down here, like we always go above freezing and then back down. Yeah, or, you know we had that huge cold snap last year, right? And that was like historic, fourteen straight days. Yeah, or whatever it was under like below zero, ten or whatever. Yeah, that month sucked. That for sucked. <laughs> yeah, for you definitely. Yeah. I'm in the propane business, so oh. we were busy. <laughs> we were busy. Hank Hill was cranky. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but if you say there's not snow on the ground, you go out and you can see where your thinner patches are that didn't take off, Mm -hmm. um, be heavier in those areas and then kind of just fill the gaps and rotate things. And so if you have a mix, you can create better diversity just by having a slightly different mix that you do the next year. And is there such a thing as overseeding, like putting too much seed on um, an area? Yeah, um, that would be me. I'd be, I'd just be like, I'd be like, yeah, I'm just gonna cover it, cake it, and <laughs> seed. Kinda. I mean, that happens more in a planter, mm-hmm. where you're trying to calculate pretty accurately what what you're doing. But <clears throat> for us going in, getting seed from your farm store, or if you do go to a co-op or whatever to get mm-hmm. your seed. And you're walking your clockwise pattern, and then your diagonal, and you do that one time. You're not you're not going to overdo it. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not that sensitive. Right. What about um, a food plot that you would like to start? So let's say you got a you know an acre area, you've never food plotted. Um, maybe you mowed it last year, but maybe it didn't. Maybe it just did its thing, and it's obviously all dead right now. Can you frost seed that, mm-hmm. and then? I'm assuming as the year goes on, you would then work it, uh, not work the ground, obviously, but maybe spray. Maintain it. You know, mow the, it. the weeds that are trying to come up at that time or mow it. Yeah. yeah. Depending on what, what you seed into. Sure. So, like, say you say you have, like, an old patch of pasture, and that's what you're going to start your plot at, and you mowed it November or something mm-hmm. after it was done growing. You go in, and legumes will grow well alongside of grasses. Mm-hmm. And so your clover and your rape and your chicory and your alfalfa are going to probably do pretty well there. And that would be a good option to start with. Hmm. Um, I've got two spots I'm thinking about right now that, you know, we, we mowed this year. We, we maintain, we, I finally like worked on this property this year and uh, it got a nice mowing kind of at the beginning of deer season was the last mowing. So, I mean, the, the grass grew again. But not bad. I mean, not tall. You know, not yeah, waist height or something. It was I mean, by the time it died, it wasn't that that tall. Shin higher. Yeah, somewhere around there. And so It'd be about perfect. There's a I couple would think. spots that I thought about doing a plot, but they haven't touched in. I mean, mowing them for the first time in five to seven years, probably this year was right. the first time they've been touched by anything. That's the other another thing I just thought of on the on the clover at least is that it is it can tolerate colder temperatures than a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. And so while the stuff that was already there is still dead, you're you're going to get that germination out of the clover. And so like we kind of mentioned, it just starts early. And due to the fact that it can handle the cold temperatures, will do well. Right. 
So, do you have a prefer- uh, preference? I mean, I've read different articles about white clover, red clover, what deer prefer. I don't know if there's any truth to any of it, but I don't. I don't have a preference. I forgot what I looked at earlier, but it was saying it was a grazing article, mm-hmm. and I I want to say that white clover was the most um, resistant, like could bounce back from heavy grazing. Okay. Um, and drought. Better than red. Than red. White clover is the clover that has those white flowers. Mm-hmm. Red clover are the purplish Purple ones. flowers, yeah. And then there's like sub subspecies to like Ladino. Um, over and we'll, we'll we'll seed all of them. Right. Just depending on what we get. Yeah, that's cool. And they're generally the same. Like they behave pretty much the same. Dude, frost seeding sounds like something that more people should do. I mean, it sounds pretty easy. I mean, I've done it before, but, I mean, yeah. I've literally never done it. Yeah. We've done it up north a few times. And actually, this was the last fall. Yeah, I believe it was last fall. And we, we've always, we got a spot, and it's perfect for a plot, but we could never get anything to grow. And But we were always doing it the wrong time of year or something like that (laughs) this year we went out there and we did it during the you know the the fall time or whenever you're supposed to winter seeding and uh it took off and it did awesome this year yeah it did really good for us i would assume most people don't uh frost seed because no one's thinking about food plots food plots right now Mm -hmm. season just got over in missouri nobody wants to talk Talk about deer. Licking their wounds. The licking wi- their wounds. Yeah, the wife's mad at you because you've been gone all winter long. And, and chasing hey, coyotes like you guys hey, do. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Last thing they want to hear is, uh, hey, I'm going to be gone for a few hours. I'm going to go do some seeding for a food plot. What? Yep. Uh, but, but you need to be. You need to be thinking about it. Yeah. I'm going to go improve wildlife habitat. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to say it's for that. Don't call it a food plot. Yeah. Yeah. I care about the turkeys. <laughs> I'm just getting ready for those. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other questions on that? I'm good on the frosting. I, that I'm just. I don't know. I've never had it explained to me like that. Frost seeding, at least, and uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that just a lot of lights, a lot of light bulbs dinged in my head when you were talking about frost seeding, and mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I understood the term before, but since I've never done it, I've never given a shit to really why do you do it yeah why do you do it and then when, the more you talk about the science kind of behind what that seed's doing mm-hmm. i mean it makes sense freeze it works in thaw or freeze it's sitting on top thaw works in freeze again and it it gets that chance to germinate and in a second the spring hits and it gets to grow it's the first thing mm-hmm. coming out the ground those first 50 degree days right they'll they'll start to pop even even early. Yeah. Like, before you would think anything was going to go green. Yeah. So You start kind of seeing a little green hint on the landscape. Mm-hmm. You know, just a small. A tinge. Yeah. So that's that's cool. I mean, I'll have to mm-hmm. really think about that. That's I can think of a few spots that I don't know why you wouldn't just see what happens mm-hmm. with some frosty. Well, that's the thing about it. It's a, it's a good experimental method, too, where you're since you're not having as much input up front, mm-hmm. it's okay to be kind of try this versus this a little bit more and not feel like, oh, I wasted all my gas in my tractor and tearing up the field and 
all that to maybe have a plot fail because it doesn't get a rain. We know you're going to have moisture. Yeah. So. That, I mean, that's Micah, your story this year. You did that plot at your mm-hmm. place that you told Dustin about just now or earlier. Yeah, and it, it got a little bit of rain, but. And then it freaking zapped dry, and it yeah. all pretty much failed. Mm-hmm. My plots, you, you know, how much time did we spend out there on a, a tractor tilling it up and getting it all jacked up, and then I went out and sprayed, or did I spray first? One way or the other, I spent multiple days out there, mm-hmm. and then someone else's tractor that I used, which happened to be landowners, but hey, you know, still a tractor getting used mm-hmm. and things getting done. And, you know, three months later, it was not, it was gone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you spend a little less, I guess, effort up front doing some hand seating and seeing how it does, and then you can maintain it. I, yeah. I just, yeah, I, people ought to really think about frost seating. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And with, when with like, say if you do, you mentioned doing like a all, I don't remember which, all clover plot. I'm thinking about going all clover. Yeah. yeah, you'll you'll have to mow that. Yep. Yeah, because it gets tall and yeah, will choke itself out on right. Does so right. really? Yeah. 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 You got to mow it what at least twice a year or something. Yeah. I guess it's just like a clover field. Like it'll get yeah, yeah it'll get like knee high. <laughs> yeah. And it's thick. Which is oh I mean which is doable because lucky for me the landowner he has a uh, he's got a skid steer with the brush hog mm. up front so I'll I'll be That's able to use that this year. So, yeah. yeah, it's going to be pretty handy. I'm pretty excited. Uh-huh. Before I get too crazy with that thing, I need to have you out there, though, because i got some other questions that, we, that I want to get <laughs> figured out, know. too. See, and all, these freaking, all these freaking bales are going off in my head. This place, I told you, I find we finally ma- mowed for the first time. Also, mowed trails to get, like, access trails. Well, why can't those be all clover? Yeah. I mean, they're also frost. They're also fire breaks. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, all these things are going off my head. I could just spend, you know, a couple hours out there with a little hand spreader and toot, 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 yep. turn them into yeah, clover rig up, trails. Rig up one on your deal that's just wheel driven, <clears> or <throat> even if it hooks up to your battery. Yeah. Drive your, you mow it, you go drive it, and now you're seeding it. Good to go. You got green <laughs> around the outside. Yeah. Now, do you guys? Do you guys actually? Is there a light bulb above my head? <laughs> there's it, a lamp. I feel like there's <laughs> bulbs going just ding, ding. <laughs> So, um, so I think we covered that pretty good. Probably, an, I would assume you would probably want to do some of your timber management this time of year too, right? Yeah, that's that, that's the major theme of winter. Okay, for me especially. Um, for one, if you, especially if you're using a chainsaw, mm-hmm. it's cold. I don't know if you've ever cut firewood or anything with all day in, in the summertime, yeah. but it doesn't take very long to lose everything. You're just like, oh. Yeah. So you can go longer. Yeah. Um, as far as like, so timber stand improvement, let's talk about timber stand improvement. Um, the mechanism of treating the s- trees that you kill is more effective in the winter time because they're dormant mm-hmm. and they're not running nutrients up like they would in the summer. Um, but again, you get a 50 degree day, a lot of your trees are going to start moving them again. So it, it's, temperature driven a lot mm-hmm. um but yeah so timber stand improvement in my opinion is the biggest bang for your buck that you can do as far as improving your habitat um because well, really all it takes is a chainsaw and a little bit of you know elbow grease elbow grease yep. for the most part yep and some knowledge on what you're doing though sure right? i mean you <laughs> got don't i mean if you, don't you never if you never ran a chainsaw before, a you should probably definitely wear all your safety gear that you need to wear. <laughs> yeah, you should wear it even if you have. <laughs> yeah, and you you know probably should get somebody to 
teach you how to do a little something with it. You yeah, know? have somebody mark it for you, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. They can be dangerous. You mean a guy like Dustin? Yeah, yeah. Dustin yeah. can do it for you. I can do that. Yeah, because um, I mean, what goes into it? It's not just about going out there with a chainsaw and starting to cut up some trees. No, you want to you want to evaluate. There's different ways <laughs> to go about it. From a wildlife perspective, you want to let a lot of sunlight to the floor. Um, and you know we're deer hunters and we think mostly about oak trees. I think, but um, as far as like me, I'm kind of a purist. I like to take all the honey locust out, and I know that they like honey locust pods, but in the end, I kind of don't like honey locusts, so right. they don't get very many green passes for me. But <laughs> um, no, just finding that dominant canopy tree, a mass-producing oak tree, is kind of the epiphany of what you're looking for in timber stand improvement. Mm-hmm. You want to clear up all the way around that tree and then 10 feet outside of it, and that's going to let it grow more. It's going to put on a lot more acorns in the future because it's not competing as much with other trees in the canopy okay. or ground nutrients from smaller trees that might be coming up underneath of it. Okay. Um, now, if you have like a tree like that that maybe you have a stand in, you might want to leave a few around so you have cover. But Not just, just oak tree in this open area. <laughs> yeah. now. What's slap, that little guy slap hanging Slap a off ladder it? on the side. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... No, yeah, looking for those trees, and then I have a hierarchy that I kind of follow any time that I'm marking or doing TSI and <laughs> starting from the bottom. It's anything that's not native. So like your honeysuckles, there's Tree of Heaven is a real nasty one. Mm-hmm. Always take them out because they're going to end up being a problem if you don't. I'm not, I'm not for sure if I know what that one is. Yeah. Tree of Heaven? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think I do either. I know what honeysuckles are, but. Yeah, Um they're similar. It came from Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, as a honeysuckle, I could be totally wrong. Is a honeysuckle is a honeysuckle leaf a leaf that a deer likes to eat? I'm not sure on that. I think they will. There is a uh, there's a bushy type tree that I can show you the picture of that I swore listening to something or watching something this last year. Someone was saying that you'll see deer eat them off the the branch or whatever the mm-hmm. limb and like off the ground when it's laying on the ground. And it was, I'll show you, I'll have to Google the picture. And I swore it was honeysuckle, and I'm like, hey, I've got those all over that place. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did not realize that it was an inv- invasive species. Yeah, very bad. Hmm. Uh, S- same with, uh, what, cedar or not cedar? Uh, olive. What? What is the, a lot of people talk about cedar thickets. Aren't red cedars or something an invasive? They're native invasive. So what does that mean? That means they are from here. But, but they're his, also invasive. They're also invasive. Historically, fire kept them in control. Gotcha. And we don't have that anymore unless I come in and do it. <laughs> right. But uh, huh. and even then, if they get to a certain size, you can't burn up a whole tree. Right. It's not like it's not like out west. It can be, but typically it's not. Um, but yeah, they they have a way of overtaking hmm. areas, especially grasslands. Right. Um. You can get honeysuckles and grasslands and things like that too, but deer, deer. Now that you say that, I think I've heard that about them eating the leaves too. But I've spent so much time trying to get, get rid, rid of, of them. If it that <laughs> anybody that's like, oh, well, that's good cover, and I like do everything I can to convince them otherwise, because yeah. it becomes more of an issue and a limiting factor than it is providing any benefit. Right, right. and and that's same with I've 
everybody thinks cedar thickets are these awesome covers. That exactly that is exactly what I've got. Honeysuckle. Yeah, because yeah. it's got those little like berry type red berries on. Yeah. Them. Yeah. 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 That's exactly what you would be unhappy with where I hunt. <laughs> yeah. They uh Yeah. Yeah. Deer can't keep up with them. Like yeah. they'll browse it but they can't keep up with it. It's just yeah, too much. Right. Um, in the cities, and you drive through the cities in early spring when that understory is really bright green and all the <laughs> tall trees haven't put leaves on yet, that's mm-hmm. all honeysuckle. Gotcha. And nothing else that is beneficial can grow down there. Okay. Because they're also uh, aleopathic, which means they send chemicals out in the roots to inhibit the growth of other plants. Oh, they're dickheads then, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, them and <laughs> olives and tree of heavens all do the same thing. Hmm. What's um, the tree of heaven look like? Like, is it it's, a, a uh, distinct feature? Or yeah, so, like, a young one has, like, a very distinct singular stalk. It just sticks straight up. It's very alien looking. Okay. Um, I'm going to Google it while you're talking. They yeah, have a, I'm Googling that shit, too. <laughs> they have a million seeds that they put out. Oh, yeah, I've seen those. But they, uh, they're rhizomal. They sprout heavily from the roots. So, if you cut one and don't treat it, you're in for a world of management nightmare um okay yep i've seen that wonder if that's what's growing along my fence lines that i cut and then it comes back with a vengeance with a vengeance it could be yeah i I bet it is um so yeah honey locusts will behave that way they're native okay um but they'll they'll behave the same way so that's one that you always treat with chemical okay uh tore on or pathway Um, honey locusts. Anyways, I started on my hierarchy of trees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me, so all me those, and Mike are learning a lot of shit tonight, and we're yeah. like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> so all those... Uh, they all get the boot. Yeah, those all get the boot all the time. And then after that comes, like, your honey locust and your hedge and your cedars. And so, like you mentioned, a lot of guys are like, oh, cedar thickets. And, mm-hmm. yeah, they provide cover from wind and really bad weather. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read where some mature bucks will actually avoid a really thick cedar thicket because they can't see out of it. Mm-hmm. That's what I've heard, yeah. And and I heard they don't produce any, was it, like thermal, like, because a buck or, you know, a deer, if they want to get out of the cold and stuff like that, they want to go somewhere where they can try to get warm and cedar thickets don't offer any of that. You, you no. would think the exact opposite. Yeah. Right. But... It's it might block the wind, but it blocks the wind, but there's no sunlight getting in. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, it, what I like to do, <laughs> side note on the deer version of this is think about where you want to be, where the best setup is for you, topographically. Don't leave. That's also going to be the best setup for a buck. Mm-hmm. So you want to not have your cover where that best spot is that's where your stand is have that cover between so if you're going to leave a patch of cedars that's where that's what you do is you leave a patch of cedars you don't you want to take out like say like ryan's farm if it were me on his farm i'm going to take out 90 percent of the cedars Mm -hmm. and on 80 acres that's a lot of cedars um but yeah don't i don't like to leave them and like the guy I used to work for, he'd, he'd take out every cedar because <laughs> otherwise you're going to come back. They're going to come. They are going to come back. Yeah, you're never yeah. going to get rid of them. Oh, that's our our buddies at Land and Legacy. Yeah, yeah. They're they're like, take like them all out. Spy cedars. Yeah, yeah. You get yeah. a lot more benefit out of having grass or good timber hmm. than than cedar thickets. Okay. And same with the hedge. You get rid of all the hedge. Yeah. Um, hedge is tricky because 
depending on how big they are. It takes oh. 14 blades to get through one. Hey, <laughs> yeah, it takes a bulldozer, or if you girdle them like I do a lot of times and treat them in that ring. A girdle is when you cut a ring around the outside right. of the tree and treat it with herbicide. That thing's going to be standing there dead longer than any of us are going to be here. Right. And so it's kind of like, in some instances, those mature hedge stands are almost like a feature in themselves. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you're almost managing for them. But if you're in, like, oak woodlands and you have eight-inch hedge trees they're they're bye-bye like try to try to get a post out of it if you can right that's i mean i'm pretty sure i got the property that i talk about most time i'm pretty sure i could buy a brand new truck with as many hedge posts as i got in in there that i could get out of that place there's a (laughs) ton of hedge ton of hedge that and thorny locust yeah it's terrible which is thorny locust honey locust yep okay okay so yeah, those are nasty. We are getting we bitches. are getting so much smarter. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's honey locusts and black locusts, okay. and the older generation I learned from my grandparents always thought that black locust was the gnarly thorny locust, but it's actually opposite. Hmm. Honey locust is the big clusters of just yeah, just nasty. Don't spears. let them. Yeah, don't let them get you. You're gonna be sore. Yeah. Like, um, and then black locusts are you see them a lot. <clears throat> They're everywhere. They were planted in the 70s for the energy crisis, and for firewood potential oh. Oh, okay. and they would harvest them in like a pie so they go around the pie and gotcha. 10 years later you have your next crop of firewood so hmm. it's a good idea but they're not they're, they don't have a thorn they have short stubby ones oh okay and not not like all the way up the trunk like a honey locust will they'll be like on right. the smaller limbs um yeah, that's what sucks like we hung remember we hung a stand in that that honey locust and you're 15, 16 foot up, and you're like, son of a... <laughs> just yeah. got stuck yeah. by another thorn, yeah. you know? You'd like, you can't well, get away from well, them. Well, where my food plot is, that one where you helped me hung it in that middle tree, you know, that tree's way too small. Yeah. I got to move it this year. Baroque, wasn't it? I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it's Baroque. You would it's know. a good one. Yeah. yeah it's, bur- it's a nice tree. Love the tree. It's and beautiful. it's right in the middle of my plot. Yeah. It's a great spot, but it's real small. It doesn't offer It doesn't offer me enough cover, so mm-hmm. I need to get it off. I need to get off the plot a little bit. And the tree I am looking at, I'm like, I'm going to have to cut down freaking five honey locust trees <laughs> to get to where I can shoot into the plot. I'm like, this is going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I'm like, well, I guess I'm just going to drop them, grab the loader, and push them away somewhere or something. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking forward to having to deal with those. Right. So, yeah, honey locusts, they do have a little bit of browse benefit with their pods because deer in the winter will eat them. I think they're pretty high in protein. Are they? Um, Squirrels love them too. Yeah. Oh, and I'm, th- I'm thinking about hedge apple. So hedge. Hedge. I don't. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I always see squirrels just squirrels, munching on hedge I know apples. squirrels yeah. hammer those. I don't know about deer. I've never seen a deer eating one, but I, maybe I'm sure they, they probably could. I'm sure they I've could. seen them. I've seen. Uh, I've seen them eat the leaves off yeah. the hedge. Yeah. They'll eat the leaves. Well, and they'll eat maple leaves too. Yep. I've seen that. So the hedge trees tend to le- lose all their leaves like at once. Right, right. I don't know if you've noticed that or yeah. not. Yeah. So when that happens, like, it's like raining. Yeah, yeah. When that happens, it's kind of a good spot to be. Makes yeah. sense. Um, deer do eat them. Yeah. Um, in my experience, some of them hedge trees will create like a little umbrella of shade, which doesn't let anything grow underneath of it. Yep. And so a lot of times, those are like little hubs of traffic. If you have like thick woods, <clears throat> yeah, where they'll come into that and kind of have a breath of space before they go back into the 
thick stuff. Yeah, and you can catch them kind of hopping in those little hedge openings, I call them, but it's yeah. basically just under the canopy. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, yeah, all those thorny trees almost always take them out too. Okay. Um, Pathway RTU is the chemical I use on them. Nice. So after those, it's usually, and I'm talking like a general hardwood, kind of more on a slope, not necessarily a river bottom type area, Mm because then you have your riparian trees too. But uh, after your thorny trees, you have your lesser softwood trees, so like your elms and your hackberries, essentially. Um, Hackberries have berries, obviously, that birds like. but they are often like the first trees that will come up in a woodland after you say do a log harvest. Okay. And so they'll get very thick and dense. Be a bunch of little ones all over the place and it ends up oh, shading yeah. out yep. a lot of stuff. Um I treat anymore I treat almost all my hackberries unless they're like on a um stream bank. And so the roots get to stay alive and they can resprout and that'll be a little bit of browse. Um, okay, I've, I've got quite a few hackberries on a creek bank. Yeah, uh, a few of them let disappear this year for whatever reasons. I took care of that, but it seems like yeah, you're right. Every year they don't seem to ever really get bigger. It's, I mean, maybe they are getting bigger. It's just really slow. But hmm. they're on this creek bank and they they go dormant and then they're back the next year. And hmm. I'm like, well, I don't have to trim you back. Right. Uh, so guess if you'll stay. You know, I'm I'm more looking at the shooting lane. You know. <laughs> right aspect but that's what those are that's definitely what those are mm-hmm. elms uh if you leave an elm untreated it's one of the best woody browse trees that you can have <clears throat> so if you got a nice eight inch elm and it's set up well on like a corner of something or kind of you know known travel path that's a good tree to top off and just let it blossom hmm. and they don't like a hackberry if you do that it grows pretty tall pretty fast an elm kind of is more bushy. That's another reason I like to treat the hackberries because they, in a couple of years, will be creating a ton of shade again. Gotcha. Kind of back to square one, essentially. Yeah, but the elm, if you do it that way, it'll produce a lot more of, food for the animals for longer. Right. Is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. It'll it'll bush out, and they can get it. You can cut it about waist height. They'll come along and browse that down like crazy. I got you. Okay, that's cool. Yep. And then, yeah, you just go with your your best trees. A lot of times we're looking for the oaks, red oaks. So the white oaks is what everybody loves in October. Um, Sure. It's the candy crop. They don't last very long in the wintertime. For me personally, I kind of like to go on the, in the oak population at least, a 25% white oak, 75% dark oak. So I'll pick a dark oak most of the time over a white oak if it's cut and dry, mm-hmm. if I have to pick. Mm-hmm. Most most scenarios, I'm, if there's oaks, I like that, and I'm just going to leave them because I'm taking out so much other stuff that it ain't worth it to mess with the oaks at all Right. most of the time. Um, the red oaks, the black oaks, their acorns will last longer through the winter and not start to decompose or rot or germinate to where the deer can't eat them anyways. And so... Those white oaks for a short period of time are really good, but then after that you're looking for red oaks. Okay. For hmm. longevity purposes. Yeah. Now, what is a bur oak on that? White. Is it white? Mm-hmm. Oh, a bur oak is white. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
it's typically more associated with like wet areas. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of known to be in like river bottom settings and stuff like that. Um, so you don't find them up on the ridge tops near as much. You can, but um, yeah, timber stand improvement season. What? What? So is maple? Where's maple fall in that? Maple. So depends on the maple. We have a lot of uh, sugar maples, which are going to be in the hills. Those are the bright yellow ones, uh-huh. kind of orange sometimes. Yep. And then what you get in the river bottoms is the silver maples, all the little. Which almost have that silver-looking leaf. Yeah. Yeah. On the bottom side of them, yep. they're really light. Um, Those are what I have. Yeah, they got <laughs> a lot of them get really big with like three or four trunks. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of times they're like right on the river bank. And almost looks like a river birch. Yeah. Yep. But it's a maple. Yep. Yeah. And so the, that I kind of class those trees in with uh, like cottonwoods and sycamore trees, or riparian trees. <clears throat> okay. If you have river bottom property or like a bottom of your creek that runs through your property, and you have those growing there, I like to leave them. Do they uh, produce any food value at all? Um, I don't believe so. Um, other than if they the leaves. Yeah. Um, like a fresh yeah. drop leaf, they might. I don't know if I don't know if deer browse on the helicopters of the silver maples or not. I'm sure they're palatable. Right. Um, but it's one of those things, if they got so many options, would that be what yeah, they choose? Right. probably not right. the right. top like, tier. Whereas an acorn, they choose. Yeah. yeah. They will go seek out acorns at a certain time of the right. year. Right, right. You know, will they actually, will they eat a helicopter? Sure, probably. Or maybe not, I don't know. Right. But it most likely isn't one of the... I wouldn't be handing... You're not looking for it. Yeah. 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 I it's like the broccoli, it. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. nobody really wants to eat their broccoli. Yeah. They'll eat it if they have to. Put cheese on it, it might eat yeah, it. Yeah, it'd be a little easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, another, uh, since we're talking about winter management and things, outside of just kind of the <clears throat> forest structure, um, if you were to go out, you know, we might have a couple brutal months ahead still. Mm-hmm. If you go out and do your timber stand improvement now, the way I do it, I drop everything. All the way to the ground. So it's a what appears to be aesthetically a horrible mess, mm-hmm. but it's fantastic. Um, many times I've been in with a crew of four or five guys running chainsaws all day through this chunk of timber, and we'll come back to do the adjacent chunk the next day, and where we were the day before is just loaded with deer. Because like, oh, all this potential food in the tips of these trees. Yep that was 30 feet in the air is now on the ground where they can get it. Mm-hmm. And so for this time of year, when things are getting kind of tough, it's good to have that's, that. That's that when they woody, go to the, yeah, their woody brows. Woody yeah. options. That's what we, we talked to, well, the land and legacy guys. And then uh-huh. I was listening to, I'm pretty sure it's the fall podcast. Yeah. He's up in Michigan. And when he bought his property, he had it, the guys go through and in the middle of winter. And he said, when they got done, it looked like pure de- horrible. I mean, I was I was almost sad to see it. Mm-hmm. He said, but the very next day there were deer all over mm-hmm. my place. They didn't think it was ugly. No, <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I that makes sense. I don't remember him saying you know why or what the reasoning was behind it now, but yeah, that you just put all this food right in front of them, mm-hmm. and they knew it. Yep, that's cool. Time to go. Fire them up. <laughs> Do some chainsaw work. Yeah. Yeah, and then you then you have, like, your hinge cutting and stuff, and um, I'm not sure what those guys say about it, but um, I kind of like to keep it to a minimum mm-hmm. in specific areas Yeah. with specific reasoning. Reasoning. Right. So you have your perimeter access and then whatever access that you have to stand sites. 
along those access paths, like off to the side of them is some place that I like to do a lot of hinge cutting. Um, barrier so they can't see you. Right. When that re-sprouts and leafs out, like, there's your cover. Mm-hmm. That's your screen, mm-hmm. you know, to walk to your stand. Um, then you have, like, the directional purpose. Um, if you're trying to get them to avoid, you know, if I was going to set up on this point of this ridge and I didn't want them to get downwind of me farther on the point, I'm probably going to hinge cut some trees that make them come this side of me, you know, or at least close enough to the tree stand tree right. that my wind might go over them. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of thinking that goes into that. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. I something mean, I've never. Re- and that's definitely, you know, uh, land specific on where, you know, your, sure, right. your, your spot. So <laughs> Every that's, different. that's when it'd be good to have you out to help them come together with a plan mm-hmm. and you know you can implement some of this stuff that we've talked about and another thing too i kind of mentioned with with the cedars where you want to create that best habitat like you want to be able to put yourself in the best advantageous spot which is also going to be where the buck wants to be but if the cover like the dense cover isn't where you are in the best spot he's going to be close to it Right. A lot of times, which is so be close to where they're better. I need to catch him coming out of it or to it. To it, yep. yeah. And you want that to be, you know, close. But you want the best spot. You want him to have the second best spot. Makes sense. So um, hmm. makes a lot of sense. On a on a topography standpoint, are you guys familiar with the term soldier's point of a ridge? It's like no. just the farthest point out on a ridge. Oh, before it. Yeah, yeah. before it goes down. Yeah. Okay. Um. That's a hot spot always. Your saddles are a hot spot. Mm-hmm. And then you have that top third. I I call it, when I write my management plans, I call it the buck comfort zone. Yeah, that's that's where I call it just off the ridge. Yeah, just off the ridge. Right. That's, that's, that, that's that hot spot. So if you can get yourself, you know, in daytime thermals going up, if you can get yourself right above it, right below it in the evening, a lot of times it's going to be – the goal there so yeah which i mean do you know why bucks or deer i guess in general don't like cruising the tops of ridges if they can help it compared to just off they're skylined for one Uh and then off the ridge depending on the time of day they're getting wind over the back with visual down down slash thermals up so, the, right, so you got wind, themselves. yeah. You got wind and thermals doing this, and they've got everything, yeah. and they'll they'll walk this line. So when we're ground hunting, I'm always on that line, right? Always, <laughs> like almost always. And then like in the evening times when the thermals are going to switch and pull down, I'll drop down as low as I can. Is there a is there a line towards the bottom that you think too? There is a lower third. You, know, you got your yeah. creek, your creek uh, bed. You know, I've always kind of jumped up. You know, that third or whatever, mm-hmm. which I need to, it's OCD problems. When you say a third, I say 33% then. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and if I'm 37% up, oh, I screwed up. I'm, right. I'm not in the right spot. But right. Uh, obviously it's not an exact science. But Something that I've, <laughs> like, if I can, I will put myself all the way downwind in a situation, at least starting out. Mm-hmm. Um because it just seems like they're going to get there. Like, they're going to get downwind of you, especially on the ground. Like, you have to got to cover your back. And yeah. 
I, I like to use that lower third line as the highest that I will be in the downward thermal hours. <clears throat> right. So early morning, maybe. But a lot of times you want to be up high, ready for the rest of the day, too. So it's kind of, in the morning, it's kind of, eh. But in the evening, I like to be low. Like, I don't want to be up high on the hill if if I'm doing it. Right. But. Nice. All right, yeah. so timber stand improvement. Timber I mean, stand improvement. You got your, your tree hierarchy, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about each one of those, frost seeding. Uh, what else? Wintertime. Yeah, and I kind of – I don't think I really specified. The biggest goal of timber stand improvement is to allow sunlight to get to the forest floor. There you go. You have an explosion of new growth. Which deer-like. Which deer-like. They live at five feet and below. So yeah. anything over that – useless to them pretty much useless to them they can stand up on their hind legs but which is why i think like my buddy jeff who was on a couple weeks ago (laughs) he's got property up north and uh it wasn't his choosing but they had a lot of trees die uh several years ago flood or flood Mm -hmm. and then some and some a bunch of oaks or whatever died also and so when they all died the the forest floor got all this sunlight and just blew up blew up yep and he's like, dude, I can't tell you how many deer are in there now. I mean, and he there's areas he didn't even touch anymore. He lets them have it because mm-hmm. it's so thick now with new growth. He probably can't move through it. Well he, he can't either. even really yeah. move through it, and it's exactly what it is. But he's it's he's like, I, I don't even touch it. The trees are falling down, you know, dying, and just let them have it. Yep. And he, it's almost like it was a good thing that all that those trees died because it was just a kind of a yeah, nice he, mature. He didn't, he didn't have to lift a finger. <laughs> no, right, yeah, and uh, you know it's it's. I mean, he pretty much kills a huge, nice deer out of it every year at this point. Yeah, so uh, it makes sense because all those, all those new things are there. Yep, and then you know, kind of, I don't really even have to hit on that, but say I was to take my forestry mulcher in, things are like so much brittle and dormant that you can cover a lot more. It doesn't take as much on any, whether it's a saw or that thing or <clears throat> your body. Right. Like, that's why that's why wintertime is just ideal for that, in my opinion, too. It's just, you can get more done this time of year. Yeah, more bang for your buck. Yeah. And it's kind of an in-between period of the typical, like, classic, you know, mineral and food plots and cameras. It's kind of like, what do I do? Probably why we're having the show. Like, what do I do right now? Because we're kind of in limbo between turkeys and deer and coyotes and yeah wh- what can i do to make it better right now but like i said if you bring all that food down you're helping your deer starting the next day makes so, sense makes a lot of sense uh really the only other thing that i thought of would be if the opportunity and the conditions are right you can burn during the winter time um it's kind of when do, when do you prefer to burn so typically you're burning in the spring or the late summer or fall, yeah. Uh, depending on your goals. Um, spring burns, if they're early, are essentially just wiping out the dead material. All the same stuff's going to grow back. <coughs> a lot of it that you probably don't want, mm-hmm. and so you're going to have to follow up with herbicide. Unless you just have a really good stand of native grass and wildflowers, and you're just trying to promote the grass. Right. If you come in in the fall and burn. It's going to do the opposite. It's going to set the back, the grass back. You're going to have a better pollinator. 
okay. uh, crop the next year. That's kind of in your prairie native grass CRP scenario. Hmm. Um, in the timber, the best time is before any of the snow falls because it pushes the leaves down and then they get damp underneath. So if you do come in like kind of early spring or whenever the leaves do dry out, a lot of times you're not getting that very bottom layer right. of the leaves still just because wet. they're wet. Yeah. You burn the top off. But you still get control of like your woody regrowth, setting some of that stuff back and resetting it, and you'll have the same explosion afterwards. Hmm. Um, in the wintertime, you don't want to... Like, if you're limited on cover and you're going to do a burn, you probably want to section it off so that you're not burning all your cover off. Leave some leave some habitat there. And Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like the, the frost seeding thing where if you have a bunch of burning that you need to do and you can get some in, it's good to get some in, but then do the rest of it like the normal times. Got you. And it's very – it's conditionally dependent. Right now you can – you couldn't get yeah. no, nothing to burn right now. Yeah. No, so nice. it's so wet. Um, and then that that too is kind of like a will be if you get it burned will be an early food plot. Yeah, stuff's gonna get green there before anywhere else. So right, huh? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. <clears throat> I mean, we could keep going and and really want to because I mean I'm learn I've learned. Probably more in this show than I've learned in a lot of shows we've done. Yeah. It's just because this is not something that's my forte. Right. N- never has been. I like learning about it, and I want to learn more, but this is not my thing. And so I learned a shit ton tonight. But it's pretty obvious if anybody's listened to the show and, and kind of paid attention, uh, Dustin knows his stuff. Yep. So... uh We've been teasing for a while, but we'll talk about it in a second. But before we do, talk about all the stuff that you do with Habitat Works. I mean, you pretty much said it already, but, you know, give people a rundown of what it is you do um, so that if they are looking to do some of these things or, or need help with it, um, they know that, you know, it's something that you may do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, my forte, what I consider to be my forte is the timber work. Mm-hmm. It's just what I'm the most familiar with. Um so that's your timber stand improvement with a chainsaw. It might be hack and squirt. It might be marking timber for you. Um, <laughs> hack and squirt. Hack and squirt. You familiar with hack and squirt? Well, it's just funny. It yeah. makes sense. <laughs> you go, hack it, you squirt it. You <laughs> hack it, you squirt it, you kill it, you walk away. Uh, but, yeah, any any timber management is, you know, high on my list. And then um, I have a forestry mulcher. And so the honeysuckle that we're talking about a lot of times, it's very beneficial to go in ahead and rather than try to traverse through all of that crap with a backpack sprayer on and suffering. And <laughs> I've done it many times. That's why I talk about it the way I do. But um, knock it down, mow it out, let it re-sprout in the spring, get as many of the big stumps as you can right after you cut them. But mm-hmm inevitably you're going to have a ton of re-sprouts and if you can hit it with a foliar spray that'd be the benefit in that so i got a forestry mulcher i do the timber stand improvement uh prescribed fire pretty much anything that is management related i will assist with i don't have a tractor or plant or anything like that right now mm-hmm. um and then uh management plans step by step site specific 
you know, what do you have? What do you need to manage here to get it to the next step? Right. Either immediately or in the next two to five years, you know, whatever that looks like for your property. And you can you can do all of that if you <clears throat> you could do the management plan for them and the work. Yep. Or, you know, if they just want you to give them the the your brain <laughs> work yep. and then they say they'll go do it. Yep. That's fine too, right? I mean it's yep. It's really, you know, what what is it they want? You can have me down to be what I was here tonight, but with your property, and I'm an open book for you. We'll walk it, drive it, however you want to go about. Mm-hmm. I'll go into it with certain spots and topography that I want to focus on and why these are the hot spots and this and that. <laughs> and then, you know, these are the trees you have. Right. Take all these ones out, leave that one, you know. Right. Just open book the whole time. Um 90% of, uh, 75, 80% of what I have done over the past six years, seven years has been invasive species control. Mm-hmm. So it's always, it, I'll focus on it because it's the biggest limiting factor to any habitat. You get, you get grassland invaders like Johnson grass and, um, Cerecia lespidiza mm-hmm. stuff just takes over like crazy. Johnson grass can be okay for deer bedding, but it ends up being a monoculture. It ends up being the only thing there if you don't stay on top of it. And you never want just one thing. Right. You don't want just corn. You want diversity. Yeah. You, you Corn, beans, corn, beans is better than just corn. But then corn, beans, grass is better than that. And then, you know, the more things that you corn, can beans, add grass, to the mix. timber. Yep. The corn, more beans. things. Yep. Yeah. Ditch, water, all of it. Yeah. The more things you can add to, is the better. Um, and so, yeah, just, just – consulting on you know building the best habitat that you can and basically it's habitat reclamation and just building it yeah so so i'll transition into our our announcement yeah which is uh you know missouri woods and water is uh, our newest partner for 2022 is habitat works and dustin Uh, we're excited to work with him he knows what he's doing Mm -hmm. obviously there's no way you could have just made the crap up he said tonight (laughs) um so we're working with Dustin uh, for the year, and he's one of our, our awesome partners that we're excited to, to work with. Um, and for tonight's show, at least, um, why don't you start by telling people how they can get a hold of you if uh, they're looking for some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, I've got a website under construction. It'll get better, but um, hit me an email at habitatworksllc at gmail.com. Uh, I'll put my phone number out there. Sure. 816-752-7390. And then I got a Facebook page, just Habitat Works. It's got the logo on there. Nice deer standing under a tree and some native grass, it looks like. So. Yeah, I think that's going to be a nice logo to use for our um, episode release. Yeah, that's what we so. use for the episode release picture. And, uh, you know. Uh, I'm in ju- St. Joe. Yep, I was going to say. Uh, what what I say about? 250, 300-mile yeah. radius, just give me a call if you're in Missouri or Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas. I'm on the west side of Missouri, so yep. up in St. Joe. Uh, we'll travel for food. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, like I said, this is a good time of the year to do some of those things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Dustin obviously is is somebody we respect and knows what he's doing. And um, we're, ha- we're excited to work with you, man. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully you're excited to work with at least Micah. But uh, – <laughs> He said he's gonna have me out there. What was that a year and a half? Ago? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> That's our problem is we have these great ideas and then we don't follow through. <laughs> yeah, it was just time. Time gets away from you. Yeah, you know? that's oh, yeah. true. Dude. 
but Kid, uh, damn kids. Yeah. If it can be put off, there's a way to, there you'll put it off. <laughs> you yeah. got it. Yeah. You got it. But uh, so we're excited to work with you, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, listeners are going to benefit uh, for sure from mm-hmm. uh, from having you as as one of our resources and and a partner of ours. Yeah. So, we, yeah. we need to kind of just come up with a a plan of each season you have you come on and we'll talk about what people can be doing or thinking about or what you're you know as far as this season goes and that sort of thing so i i honestly want to have a whole show about trees learning more about like just every tree that's intriguing to me it just i could have kept asking all these questions about maples and you know all this different stuff um identifying them it must be nice walking through a a forested area and just knowing every damn tree that's in there. Yeah. There, you know, sometimes I'm going, I'm like, what the hell is something that? Something that I've I've told people recently is that, like anything, it's good to have separation between work and life. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, like, even on these conservation areas that I go hunt, like, MDC's limited on funds, and so they can't always keep up with all the things <laughs> that are going on on their land. The blessing is that they have a lot of it, <laughs> a lot of land. Right. But I'll be out hunting trying to enjoy myself and i'll stumble into this big nasty patch of honeysuckle olive whatever and i'm like like, i'm not hunting here this is disgusting like i gotta get out of here so dude that reminds me of my dad it's a blessing and then it's also sometimes like i wish i could forget every once in a while but i get it it's it's better it's better than it is bad i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap my dad out but i gotta tell this story my dad has done drywall for 40 years probably now at this point it's a long time and the dude We'll be on vacation. We'll get to the hotel, and the first thing you see my dad doing is in the phone book of the local place we're at, looking at different drywall companies. And we're like, "What? Are, why? Why are you even looking?" He goes, "Well, you never know when you might need some help." So I'm looking at the drywall companies. <laughs> <laughs> He's a crazy, you know. Man. And it's just funny because. That That's dude just—I mean, it's his passion. It really is. <laughs> he loves drywall so yes. much that he. I don't know that it. he loves it, but he's really good at it. Oh, That's for sure. No, he's particular. He's a, really picks it apart. Oh, he oh, sees yeah. the I mean, sees the bad ones. He he would be considered a master drywall if, yeah. the, if that's a thing yeah. for sure. Especially his hand texturing. I mean, he does beautiful oh, yeah. work on ceilings with his hand. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So he's really good. But uh, anyways. Um, Dude, Dustin, we're excited to work with you, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, today's show was very informative. It's a great time to be doing stuff, so um, perfect time to announce it and have an awesome show on on uh, winter work. Yep. yep. So if anybody out there, like we said, wanted to get some of this going, give Dustin a call or an email and uh, talk to him and get the ball rolling. Yep, have me out to be be your open book and uh, maybe, maybe make some of those uh, plans happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, either. and even if, and I think we said it, but even if you're not going to technically do the work, a lot of people don't know exactly what they need to do. I you mean, don't know what you don't. Right. You, you don't right. know what you don't know. So, and I don't, I don't think we want to get into pricing. You can talk whenever somebody calls you. You can go over that with them, but I wouldn't think that it would be that expensive to have you out there to put you in the right direction. Right. Uh, yeah, you're right. That's yeah. another thing that I've kind of thought about here in the past couple minutes, especially you brought up the pricing. Yeah. Some of the stuff can get pretty expensive. Absolutely. Um, I mean, another thing that I can sure. help help with is getting you in the right conservation office in touch with the right people. And there are funding opportunities out there based on 
certain criteria. Mm-hmm. You can't make too much money <laughs> is one of them, but mm-hmm. uh, they they like to help people get conservation work on the ground. And I try to do things in a way that if I can, if it's doable, we'll still put a little bit of money in the pocket of the landowner. Right. Um, if I can. It's not always doable. But right. It at least takes some of the financial burden out of it. Right, off of them, and yeah. they can still get what they need to get done done. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. So, but yeah. So if you guys are thinking about what it, what he's saying is he will. I've been wanting to say this for about fifteen minutes. Okay. He will be your Huckleberry. <laughs> I'll be your Huckleberry. <laughs> See, he oh, understands. <laughs> I get it. He's not annoyed by my jokes yet. <laughs> All right. Anything else? I don't think so, Dustin. You got anything else? No, I'm just glad to be here. Appreciate you guys having me on again. So. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have you on in the future for sure. Yep. Looking forward to it. So. All right. That's it. See you guys.